also repentance unto life is, is a part of this. And so too we are to make use of the ordinary means of grace that God has given to His people. So what is repentance unto life? Please repeat after me. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. Whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin. And apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. Doth with grief and hatred of his sin. Turn from it unto God, with full purpose of, and endeavor after new obedience. Let's read 2 Corinthians 7, 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, saying, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us, Paul says, referring to himself and his co-workers. We have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting within, excuse me, fighting without, and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. This is now the reading of God's most holy word. May he add his blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. So what would you say if you were asked the question, how does a person receive the salvation that Jesus Christ has earned for us? The most direct and precise answer is through faith. We receive salvation and all that it entails by believing upon Christ, trusting in Him, resting in Him. So it is through faith that we receive salvation. More may be said, and more uh, may be said not because more is required, but to provide greater clarity 
concerning what faith in Jesus Christ is and what it entails. How do we receive the salvation? It's through faith in Christ alone. More may be said, not because more is required, but because sometimes we need to provide greater clarity concerning what faith in Jesus Christ is and what it entails. And that is what our catechism does in its answer to the question, what does God require of us that we may escape His wrath and curse due to us for sin? Answer 90, to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, with the diligent use of all the outward means, whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. And so please hear me. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. We are not saved by repentance alone. Nor are we saved through outward means alone. We are saved by faith in Christ alone. But this faith, if it is true and saving, will never be alone. I think that is a wonderful phrase for you to keep in mind as you consider these truths. We are saved through faith in Christ alone. Period. Full stop. But true and saving faith is never alone. But it's accompanied by other things, namely repentance unto life with the diligent use of the outward means, whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. So, what is faith in Christ? Last week we learned that it is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered to us in the gospel. But now today we turn our attention to repentance. True faith is always accompanied by repentance. To turn to Jesus in faith is to turn from sin. To turn to Jesus in faith is to turn from something, namely sin. Faith and repentance go hand in hand. If someone says they have faith, but they do not have repentance, their profession of faith is to be considered false. And that is what 1 John 2, 4-6 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so I will say it again. We are saved through faith in Christ and not by the act of repentance, but true faith is always accompanied by repentance. That is the clear and constant teaching of Holy Scripture. So what then is repentance? I think the answer that our catechism provides is very helpful. And I'd like to consider it with you now piece by piece. First we read, Repentance unto life is a saving grace. So faith is a saving grace, and so too is repentance. Both faith and repentance are things that we do. We must believe. We must repent. But the ability to do so is the free gift of God. That is what our catechism means when it says that saving faith and repentance unto life are, saving, are, are, are the act of God's saving grace. I'm thinking of that verse in Acts, where after Peter reports to the church concerning the Gentiles coming to faith, remember they were very surprised by that. It was a, it was a marvelous um, revelation and an advancement of the program of redemption, right? When the, the Gentiles heard the, the gospel message and believed and received the Holy Spirit, uh, the Jewish believers were, were rejoicing at, at this. In fact, when Peter reported uh, the faith of the Gentiles to uh, the church, the church fell silent, we read, and they glorified God, saying, Then 
To the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. That is Acts 11.8. So you hear how the church interpreted this. They say, well, what can we say? The, the Gentiles have come to faith in Christ. Uh, they have demonstrated this repentance. They have received the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that we have received. So they came to this conclusion that, that God had granted to the Gentiles also this repentance. The word translated as granted means to give a gift. So God gave this gift to these Gentiles who believe, the gift of repentance unto life. Secondly, our catechism says, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God. That's really a mouthful, but it's very rich. Uh, this is what repentance is. It is a turning from sin and to God through faith in Christ. Repentance is a spiritual U-turn, therefore. And I do like that, that image. It, it, it makes the matter very simple and clear. To repent is to turn in the other direction. It's to turn from something and to something else. It is sinners who must repent. This, this means that sinners are to turn from their sin into God and Christ Jesus in order to be saved. And Christians are to repent too. Repentance is something we do throughout the Christian life. This they are to do always. They are no longer sinners, having been washed by the blood of Christ, justified, sanctified, and adopted. But Christians do still battle with sin. Corruptions remain in us. And when we do sin, we must repent. We must make that turn Notice that this turning is to be prompted by a true sense of our sin with grief and hatred of our sin. And so think of this. Men and women may turn from sin for all kinds of reasons. Perhaps you've seen this in others. Maybe they see that it would benefit them to walk in a better way. So they wish to have a better life. Are you following me? They wish to no longer suffer the consequences of their bad behavior. And so they offer up a kind of repentance. They turn from their sin to walk in a different way. Perhaps they fear the consequences of their way of life. And here I am saying that these are valid motivators for repentance. I'm not denying that. But the one is, who is truly repentant will repent because they grieve over their sin and hate it. You see the difference? These other motivators are valid. I wish to have a better life, you know, and this, this way leads to bad things. That way will lead to better things. That's a valid motivator. But if our repentance is to be true, we ought to have within ourselves um, a true disgust for our sin, a grief over it, a hatred of it. And we know that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to produce this kind of grief over and hatred of sin within us. In that passage that I read from 2 Corinthians 7, just a moment ago, Paul rejoiced over the repentance of the Christians in the church of Corinth. He had rebuked them in a previous letter concerning some sin, and they had turned. His rebuke was used by God to produce grief within him. And they turned, verse 10, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So, so there's a good kind of grief, and there's a bad kind of grief as well. Um, godly grief that comes from the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the chastisement of God, it is good for though it is unpleasant for a time, it produces good things. It leads to true repentance, which leads to life. And so the point is this, true repentance is prompted by a true sense of our sin with grief and hatred of it. 
in our souls. And some will take this too far, though, and expect repentant sinners to be really, really sorrowful for their sins. I wonder if you can see what I mean by this. Um, I think in some church traditions, um, repentance will not be considered valid unless someone is really, really, really broken over it. You know, you must weep first, and you must weep deeply in order for us to believe that your repentance is sincere. And we must be very careful with this, of course. Uh, the, the, the point stands that true repentance involves true grief and sorrow over sin. But everyone is different as it applies to their emotional experience. Everyone ex- everyone's experiences are uh, different. And so we must not press this too far. And true repentance does also involve, notice, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. That word apprehension can mean anxiety or fear. And I think we use it that way most often, in fact, if we ever use the word apprehension. We, we say, I was really apprehensive concerning the upcoming procedure or something like that. That means, you know, we were worried about it, unsettled about it. But the word uh, can also mean to grasp or to understand So to apprehend the mercy of God in Christ is to see God's mercy in Christ Jesus. It's to understand it. It's to grasp it. That's how the word is being used here. So you see what's going on, right? uh, Why must it be that we apprehend the mercy of God in Christ in order for repentance to be true? Well, Well, two things need to happen. We must see our sin and it must grieve us sincerely. And we must look in the other direction and we must see God as merciful and gracious and kind and we must be drawn to that. We must apprehend the mercy of God and we must also come to see our sin for what it is. as a, a vile thing and, and turn from it. So true repentance um, involves both of those things. If we are to make this spiritual U-turn really and truly, we must hate the sin and yet See God as is loving, merciful, gracious, and kind, and run to Him. Thirdly, our catechism says, with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. This is so important. In other words, true repentance is not temporary or half-hearted repentance, but repentance that is permanent and resolved. Notice what our catechism does not say. It does not say that true repentance is perfect repentance. As I have said before, corruptions remain in the, God, in the godly, in, in God's faithful ones. And even the best of Christians do still struggle with sin. So our catechism does not say with perfect obedience. Instead it says with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. In other words, the one who is truly repentant will sincerely hate the sin and love God. They will turn from sin and run after God. And they will be fully resolved in the heart and mind to walk in new obedience from that day forward. They may fail from time to time. They might might struggle severely. But within the heart and mind, there is this sincere resolve to walk in obedience from that day forward. You really can't fake repentance, friends. You need to recognize that. God knows your heart. He knows who is sincere and who is false. 
And he does have a way of exposing all of that in due time. So you may fake faith and repentance for a time, but it will eventually become clear. The parable that Jesus told regarding the different kinds of soils is very descriptive and instructive, I think. Are you familiar with that, that parable? Jesus spoke of seed being scattered on a variety of soils, some on the road, others on rocky ground, some amongst thorns, and some on good soil. It was only the seed scattered on the good soil that sprouted in a lasting way and produced a harvest. But the seeds that fell on the road were plucked up by the birds, never did they sprout. The seeds that fell on the rocks and amongst the weeds sprouted, but they quickly withered, being scorched by the heat and being choked out by the competing and overwhelming weeds. And that parable is meant to be an encouragement to those who sow seed. That is to say, to ministers of the Word of God, I think. The message is, scatter the seed everywhere and let God do His work. Some will produce. But also the parable is meant to be a warning to us. We must be very careful to guard our hearts and to examine the condition of our hearts. And I am afraid that there are many false believers and temporary repenters in the church today. There are a lot of people who fall into this sad category. They have faith for a time. They appear to repent, but only half-heartedly and for a time. Um, There is a time for these. When the heat gets turned up or when the cares of this world encroach upon them, uh, that their profession of faith and their apparent repentance do, do wither away. And may it not be so for any of us, friends. May our faith be true and sincere, and so too may our repentance unto life be true and sincere. May we have within our hearts a true hatred for sin, a true apprehension for the mercy and grace of God in Christ Jesus, and this sincere resolve within us to consistently turn from sin and to run to God through faith in Christ Jesus with this, with this intention to walk in new obedience. So what is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose and endeavor after new obedience. What a wonderful definition that is. May our repentance be true. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, if there are some here listening to this message, who have not yet turned from their sin and to God through faith in Christ, I pray, O Lord, that you would draw them to yourself. Convict them of their sin. Show them clearly from your word what their sins deserve. Father, make their sin detestable to them. And God, I pray that you would be most glorious in their eyes, that they would be drawn to you, O Lord. Give them this grace, we pray. And for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, help us to repent truly and sincerely often. Lord, show us our sin. Cause us to hate it. Cause us to turn from it. And cause us to run to Jesus again and again for forgiveness and for the strength that we need to walk in obedience before you. Sanctify us, O Lord, we pray, for our good and your glory. And all of God's people say, Amen.